going on, everybody? Three Greg. Three Greg. Well, tonight, Three Greg. It's perfect that you uh, ask that question. So for the next three nights, I'm going to be doing three nights of podcasts. And I'll be playing music. I got, I got the guitar here. Yes, maybe not tonight, but maybe tomorrow. And I'm going to be discussing how LA bands, specifically Jane's Addiction, Porno for Pyros, influenced uh, culture that we know about today. And why I think that they deserve, out of all the bands from L.A., deserve to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But nothing would be right without Mr. Magoo walking into the room. My cat is here. We can start the show. Ah, so, grunge chord ass. What song is playing now? Well, specifically, this song right here is called Within Reach by The Replacements. And the reason that I I picked this specific song was because when I was about 15, I started to experience the Cameron Crowe almost famous type mentality where I turn into a groupie and I happen to follow James Addiction and Porno for Pyros for around uh, for uh, probably seven to eight maybe a decade and uh, if you've ever seen Almost Famous uh, yeah Cameron Crowe follows around I think it's Led Zeppelin so I I had the I had the um, luck and the time and the age to be around when uh, the alternative scene was was coming out of the shadows into the mainstream, and and what it means now, and how it inflicted uh, affected culture, and uh, and how come Jane's Addiction and Porno Papyrus aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? It's kind of it. So yes, heck yes, three Greg. A lot of L.A. Venice bands that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, that's one of my favorite songs. Uh, If you guys want to um, know where that's at, I'll post the... um, I will post the playlist of both my show and where this song came from later on tonight. This is the best of music from Cameron Crowe Films on the Apple Music Film and TV Stage playlist. So, greetings, Julia. Greetings. I'm so stoked to be able to do this on a, a weeknight and be relaxed and, uh, you know, not feel so rushed. let's get into the topic most groupies three greg says most groupies do not become musicians and write their own stuff just a minor point well 
you know, I'll kind of get into that. Uh, I'll definitely get into that throughout the three days. I, I, I will. It's interesting you say that too. It really is. It's interesting because, uh, it's kind of what it's about three Greg. It's kind of what it's about, how, how other people inspire us to do things, you know? So let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right. I'm going to get into some dates and some times. But let's get into this. All right. When I was in the fifth grade, which was roughly 1988, bands like Guns N' Roses, Metallica, Millie Vanilli, uh, these bands were kind of big and considered to be rebellious. Uh, I was, what, an 88, 12 years old. I was looking for rebellion. And uh, as you know, you're young, you don't know really where to find rebellion. You know, you, you end up just kind of doing what everybody else does until you find out what's really, uh, say, underground or, or alternative. And, uh, you know, I'd say the bands that I, I got into by that time were like, say, Cindy Lauper, U2, and uh, like I said, Guns N' Roses before, you know, like these are some of my, my favorite bands, even at 12. I really liked music. I could really grab onto music. I remember my first tape was like, I Have the Tiger, Rocky Soundtrack. I remember my first tape, you know, so in effect, personally, I, 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 I do have that, uh, I want to say Rain Man mentality about music so as the mainstream music is getting uh wearing thin in my life I had a friend named Lisa she uh she went to Chicago and she went to this place called Tower Records where they don't have any more and she, she went to the biggest Tower Records in, in the world and when she came back she, she gave me this Cure CD okay and uh and she's like, you can no longer listen to Guns N' Roses. You have to listen to something better. You have to listen to something with more substance. So at that point, I picked up this Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me album, and it was completely different and completely uh, something I'd never heard before. And uh, nothing really that I'd heard on, say, Kiss FM because that's what I was rocking at the time, because I was so young, so young, and uh, then I remember, you know, well, I really like this, this, this album, so I want to go figure out, you know, where I can get more of these albums, so I went to this place called Pier Records in, in Irvine, and I remember uh, walking up to this guy, Luciano, and he was just all gothed out, tattoos, piercings, and, and I asked Luciano, I'm all, Hey, you know, um, what, what's cool right now? Like I just asked him, I said, what, what do you think, you know, is cool right now? And he sent me over to Susie and the Banshees. 
and uh, he gave me the album Hyena. He's like, check this out. And I picked, I picked that up, I, I think the year was 1988. So as I was walking by, I saw another album uh, by Jane's Addiction. And that was, I, it was nothing shocking. And uh, it had this picture of these two ladies and their heads were on fire and, and there was this weird cow print. And I was like, wow, what is this? Like, so I picked up Susie and the Banshees and I, and I picked up uh, Nothing Shocking. And, uh, and I went home and I, and I put it in my, you know, I, I, I had vinyl. So uh, I think it was vinyl. I'm pretty sure it was vinyl. Put the record on and as soon as I, I listened to, you know, the Jane's Addiction, I was like, what the hell is this? This is like nothing I'd ever heard before. And, uh, and I was obsessed by the time I was like 12. And I remember having to get ready for school and, and you know, it's like when you're reading a good book, you know, all of a sudden I would, I, I don't want to go to school ever, like school sucks, so what do I do? I, I try to read this good book and, and that was thrown that record while I was getting ready for, for you know, for my job basically. And, uh, and I remember just listening to these songs and it, it would take me out of my everyday routine and then when I got to school, I would keep these, these songs and these ideas in my head and uh, it, it became so obsessive that I remember I ended up with a Walkman, you know, and in and, and junior high, I, used to, I was the kid that had the replacements t-shirt, and that was the song that I played earlier, and I had a Walkman that I would, like, feed through a sweatshirt, and I'd put in my arm, and I would, I would just listen, and that was the way that I got through school, and yes, I got bad grades, but I got to listen to my music, and uh, that was the way that I was able to escape uh, the bullying and uh, just the overall education, you know, labor camp that I wasn't ready for at that age. So while all these other kids were thinking about their careers and mathematics and, you know, colleges, I was, I was thinking about where the hell are, are, are these interesting people at? Where, where, uh, where are these, these odd creatures that kind of look like unicorns. Where are they hanging out? Where can I find them? So, uh, Greg says, Tower on Sunset Boulevard, a few blocks up from the whiskey. Hell yes. And yes, a Walkman 3, Greg. So for, for kids that, that uh, hear this later, a Walkman is basically, uh, you know, a tape. Like, we have these things called, like, tapes. Uh, but but then again, tapes made it come back for a little while, so I'm not going to be like that guy. But yeah, we had these these just these Walkmans where we could put like maybe an album or two, you know, and we could just walk around with this 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 album or two. And you know, I remember I also had Nothing Shocking and Triple X, which was Jane's Addiction's very first album, in my Walkman, and I would just listen to that that stuff constantly, and it would just put me into this different world. It would. It would take me out of my everyday humdrum. What's going on, Peter Bad Wolf? So, uh, as I'm getting into this, as I'm finding the superpower as a, as a young kid that I need, you know, this 12-year-old kid, uh, I'm starting to be influenced by, like, certain songs, you know? And, 
Jane's Addiction's Triple uh, X album that I was talking about, I had these songs like Pigs and Zen, which is kind of like, you know, questioning war, questioning the just the whole sheep mentality. Uh, I, uh, you know, I was questioning these things when I was, uh, the song Whores, you know, Jane says, like, I would for you at such a young age, it, it, it didn't make me skeptical of the uh, system, but it made me question it, you know, and, and I started questioning things young and that made me, uh, think critically think and I think critically thinking is what what is lacking in the world today and so whatever somebody was trying to sell me or, or like kind of food you know spoon spoon feed me I would be like hey man I'm I gotta critically think about this you know <laughs> like I was skeptical about everything the shit that they were teaching me in the history books uh, to just the amount of time they keep me at school you know, all these things, all these things were coming back to the music that I was listening to. And and the Jane's Addiction and, and also, uh, you know, like the Susie and the Banshees that I was getting into and the, the Creatures. The Creatures was uh, Susie's very first band, uh, sorry, side project. Uh, that was my first concert ever. I saw this wild ass uh, drummer named Budgie just pounding like a lunatic. And I saw Susie, and I was I was 12 years old, and uh, and saying that like as soon as I got my taste of that, when I got my taste of the creatures and Susie and the Banshees, I instantly knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like I somehow I just wanted to be around that. I wanted to either dance or do something with that musical world because it was hypnotizing and the people there were interesting and everybody was so different than, you know, the people that I knew from Anaheim and the people that I knew from, you know, Irvine and the people that I, even going to Los Angeles, I didn't see a lot, you know? So you'd get, you'd go to these concerts in the, in the late eighties and early nineties and everyone would just be so dressed up and just piercings and everything. It was just, it was shocking to see at 12, you know, it was probably the equivalence of what like, you know, our parents would see when the hippies were in Golden Gate, you know, park, you know, uh, you know, these, these young impressionable people seeing these, these hippies, it's, it's the same thing. When I saw these piercing tattoo freaks, I was like, holy shit, like these people are the people that I've been looking for. And these are the unicorns that, that I hear on these albums and I want to get around them as much as possible. So I remember leaving that Creatures concert in UCI, I think it was Crawford Hall, and my ears were just, just deafened, because you know when you're young, your ears are just so like virgin, uh, the Creatures just divergenized my ears, and, and as soon as I left, I was just deaf, I couldn't even hear my friend Lisa, Lisa the girl that gave me the, the Kicker CD, I couldn't hear her at all, you know, but I was like, why are we, you know, why are we, why can't we hear? And, and it was basically because we had burned, you know, the, the hairs off of our ears and, and they were just ringing and I loved it. It was the best feeling ever. And then I started to search on it. Um, okay, yeah, three Greg. So, you know, this is it. You, 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 you nailed it. You said, three Greg says, ha ha, same for me, but in 1977. And that's why everything is generational. 
everything is uh, I'll give you a prime example um, we played with um, Robin Zander I'm in a band I played with Robin Zander of Cheap Trick okay um, when I was first offered that gig I didn't know who that person was okay because I am like I said I was born in the 70s late kind of late 70s early you know 80s on that by that time Cheap Trick was kind of like their their prime had been you know you know they'd passed so I didn't really know who they were and Rondi who's in my band she like uh, she's she just knew all about them and when she, I told her that like you know that we were opening for Robin Zander she lost her fucking mind and and then then another friend that was like five years older than me finally told me that like yeah Cheap Trick had opened Cheap Trick was John Lennon's uh, like band for a single that they did and right before he passed and, and then I was like whoa holy shit like what are you talking about like one of my biggest first performances I'm playing with the band that had played with fucking John Lennon that's how small the musical world is so you know and my point is that it's generational and just because I didn't know who Cheap Trick at the time it doesn't mean that they weren't relevant and you know everybody at that certain time when you're 15 and you're 16 everything's fucking magical if I was 15 or 16 when Cheap Trick was around I'm sure I would have fucking loved it too just like Zeppelin and it's all generational and it keeps going and it's it's rock music it's it's tribal music it's it's one of these you know hippie fusion things that have kind of been created through changes of say you know guns and roses and really bad hair metal to something more outrageous like say jane's addiction and and i'll say it nirvana and the thing about that is you know nirvana was coming out at the same time that jane's addiction was and nirvana kind of got the credit for the whole alternative movement but Jane's Addiction kind of kicked the door in for that. So that's where it's kind of crazy. So, you know, for me, I was there, I remember it all. And I, I saw Nirvana, I fucking love them. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, just, they were, they were different. And uh, I just think as time progresses, Nirvana is just a legendary band because, you know, of things that transpired. And I'm sure if the lead singer of, uh, of, you know, Jane's Addiction would have passed away, it's the same thing. Once your art, once you're dead, your art is worth so much more, which I think is fucking disgusting. So, um, up here, Peter Badwolf said, I lived with the hippies in Golden Gate Park. Okay, so I was 11. Okay, so uh, I, my mom, uh, okay, here, you want Peter Badwolf. My grandmother, she was from Maxine, she was from Marin County, okay? And uh, my grandfather lived in San Francisco off of, I want to say Gary and maybe Fifth Street, I want to say. So uh, they met and they came together and started a family. And then uh, my mom grew up, I want to say, I wa she had to grow up, I think, partially in San Francisco. Oh, no, 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 no. She didn't grow up in San Francisco, sorry. Then they moved to Fresno. Uh, and then she, she was born in Fresno, but they would go back and visit, you know, San Francisco. And at that time it was the, the movement of the, the hippies. And, and the reason I, I use that 
story or that analogy was because I would thought about that. My mom said that when she saw the hippies, they scared the shit out of her, you know? Uh, they weren't George Harrison's everywhere, you know? A lot of them were more Charles Manson's than fucking George Harrison's. So that's where you have it, you know? You have all these people that think they know what's going on and they want to tell you the truth, but then they just get you on some weird drug and they don't know what the fuck you're talking about in, in the first place. So my point is, my heart's in San Francisco. I love it so much. Um, I haven't been in probably like six years, seven years. I love everything about Golden Gate Park. I love everything about the hippie movement. When I was 15, uh, I ran up there to see what it was about. And uh, it was to see a concert. It was Mr. Bungle, um, Primus and the Melvins. This was uh, Billy Graham Theater. And anyways, I don't want to get too sidetracked. So let me read some of these comments. Jane's was sooner than or not. Exactly. So I'll break down some facts. You know, Jane's addiction started in 1985. I believe that Nirvana started in 1988. I don't want to, I don't want to make this about what was better, but I do feel that Nirvana just took a lot of the, the credit historically. And, you know, being there, you know, I just remember, I remember this really shitty hair man experience. Like I said, Guns N' Roses and, and all these other, um, play you know bands that were just Bon Jovi and, and just just stuff that was just for me it wasn't it, no no music is bad okay but for me it didn't resonate I needed something different and like the first time I saw Mountain Song like the Mountain Song video I was like what the hell is this and uh you know I I, I can just right now thinking of that video I remember at the very end of it there's just this wild bald-headed guy and he is just like he, he's just like so into it, feeling himself rocking the fuck out that like, I was like, and these people all smashed together like sardines. And then you see Perry with these wild dreadlocks who looks like this crazy shaman, like dude in like a fucking girdle type deal. That's something that you would never wear in a million years. And, and, and then that's just Perry. And then you see Steve Perkins, who has just like got this huge afro, and he's just like banging like he's animal from fucking Sesame Street. But his his beats are so tribal that they resonated so deep in my soul that the Cameron Crow type mentality came out inside of me, and I truly became the groupie like Three Greg said. And I started being such a groupie that every show that you would see, I I would want to be at. And this was at 15. And, um, ironically, this was the end, you know, and, and when I was 15, Jane's Addiction, they had like a brief tour, I think before, uh, Lollapalooza when they released uh, ritual. But at that time, right when I got into them, ritual started to come out and then caught stealing hit. And then they were on MTV and they just blew the fuck up and, and everybody knew who they were. And they were, you know, for the kids that don't know, they were on every magazine. They were the biggest band in the world. And then they announced that they were going to call it quits and have this huge traveling freak show called Lollapalooza. And then Lollapalooza was born. And uh, luckily, I live in Southern California. And uh, all the bands like The Doors, um, James Addiction, of course, um, you know, all this, the Beach Boys, like all these these Southern California bands, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to kind of be around and see. And so when I heard that Jane's Addiction, Susie and the Banshees, uh, Ice-T, I think it was the Butthole Surfers, 
uh, I think it was Henry Rollins, we're gonna show up to the, my my neighborhood, which was like Irvine. I, I lived in Irvine by that time. Uh, they were coming to Irvine Meadows to play three nights, three days and three nights. And I was gonna be there no matter what, because I was too young to go to the first shows. I think I think the shows that they were playing in Los Angeles were like 21 over, and at that time I, I was literally 15. So now being in a band myself, knowing that when young kids can't get into the show, like it fucking drives me crazy. And I've snuck kids into my shows before just because I know that feeling of like, oh my God, it's it, you wanna see it. You wanna see these unicorns. You wanna see these people that like, just rub two sticks together and create melodies that can change your life. So yes, at 15, I convinced my parents to get me Lollapalooza tickets. Uh, that same girl, Lisa, that I, I went to uh, the Creatures concert with, the the girl that gave me my first Cure CD from Tower Records in, in Chicago, she uh, she convinced everyone to let us go to Irvine Meadows to see Lollapalooza. And I'll tell you, the parents, I'm glad that they did, but wow, the shit that, that we saw was just so life-changing. Being so young, Lisa was a few years older than me, but we were both like suburban kids. Like, yeah, I grew up in Anaheim, so I witnessed like, you know, some some ghetto shit and some, some gnarly shit, but as soon as I moved to Irvine, I was like, you know, different. And all of a sudden I get there and I just clearly remember, like I said, kids, people with blue hair, mohawks, piercings, tattoos, kilt, uh, acceptance, gay, gay people, lesbians, uh, people of all just races and creeds and, and fishbone shirts and, and just, there were so many different people, uh, that it was, and it was, everything was so accessible, you know, like when you walked in, you had, you know, Irvine Meadows is this long path and you're, you're walking for like 10 minutes and as soon as you get in there, you know, I, I just remember being in this like crazy hippie caravan type mentality where you just saw all these things kind of for sale, but they weren't cheesy. They were like, I remember one thing that I bought, like you would sit down and you put this thing on your face and it had this like psychedelic, like spinning thing and it was purple and you would blow through it and it was so fucking hot that you start to get out of breath. And then you'd see these psychedelic patterns to start to form in your head. And when you were a kid, it was like a free trip, you know? And I bought that thing instantly. I wish I still had it. And uh, it was, that was, and then they had all these other things like just, Imagine like a Grateful Dead convention, but just with people with tattoos and piercings and and food like funnel cakes and Thai food and and this was all before you even got to the stage. So you had all this just overwhelming culture, you know, and it was brand new and it was traveling and it was three nights in my neighborhood. Peter Badwell said, lived in a painted school bus that died in, at Woodstock. Playing in the pond was so much fun. The first time I probably I saw a nude woman. I remember the first time I saw a nude man. 
this is random. Uh, I was a kid and they took me to a nudist, my, my mom let me go to this, this camp and there was a nudist camp somewhere in Los Angeles. I didn't know it was a nudist camp and I just remember this, this dude, it was like just, just the 80s, it was the 80s, just walks out of nowhere just naked and jumps in the pool and I'm all, in my little like probably nine year old head, I'm all, where the fuck am I? Get me out of here. <laughs> I don't want to see this. And even like seeing chicks naked at that point was just kind of like gross because it was just like, you know, fuck. I don't want to say that, you know, bodies are gross, but they can they can be gross when you're nine years old and you don't understand anything. Now, because you see them, these like, you know, how you see that, you know, people on those National Geographic, you know, specials. You, you don't you don't sexualize. You just see them as human bodies. And I think if we did that more, life would be uh, a little bit, you know, better. You know, because I don't like to sexualize people. I like to like to look people in the eyes and see their soul. But anyways, back to Lollapalooza, and let me read some more comments. Badwell says, I had a crush on a hippie girl called Sunshine, with long blonde hair and sky blue eyes. For an 11 year old, I was in heaven. Yeah. I remember I had a crush on Miss Lee. She was probably like my second grade teacher. And, um, yeah. I, I remember her. She was awesome. Uh, she read she read so well and I couldn't read at all. <laughs> she was so smart and she was so pretty. And, you know, I, I really discovered my sexuality young as a child. Uh, I really did. I, I loved kid. I, I loved, I loved girls more than I, I got along with girls better than I got along with guys. I always have. That's just me. So, um, I don't know, there's something that I connect with the feminine side more than I connect with the masculine side. Hence me not playing football and hence me not doing all those things and more or less finding my creative musical side through being a groupie obsessed uh, teenager. And I think we all go through that. I think we all go through the, um, you know, when we're younger, we're trying to figure out who we are. You know, what is what does it all mean and, and, and who are we and, and being picked on, you know, everyone gets picked on in life, you know, and when you're fucking 12 and you're in junior high and kids are laughing at your replacement shirt and they're laughing at your Jane's Addiction shirt because they don't understand it, you know, well, when you take all those experiences of like those concerts that you've gone to that they don't know about, it's like I said, you found this secret underground labyrinth of a new world that these kids can never possibly understand while they're still looking for their college career. You know, these kids are searching for their college careers and I'm thinking, how do I get to the next Lollapalooza? So, in saying that, 
yes, I saw the first Lollapalooza. Ice tea and body count was fucking amazing. Uh, all these bands were so good. Susie was great. And remember, that was my first concert. So seeing Susie with the Banshees just blew my mind. Nine Inch Nails was there. I'd never seen Nine Inch Nails. Uh, I, sorry. When I was younger, I tried to sneak into Club Post Nuclear. Once again, couldn't see them. I wasn't allowed. I was too young. Club Post Nuclear was a uh, club in Laguna Canyon. It was so hard for me to get there. And I was like 14. And they were like, you don't get in. I finally got to see Nine Inch Nails. And, and then Jane's Addiction finally took the stage, okay? And this is a true story. Lisa looks at me, the same girl that we've been through, all of these things together. She looks at me and she's like, are you ready? And I'm like, am I ready for what? And she, she pulls out these candles and, and she like, she, she fucking lights the candles. She lights the fucking candles. And we're sitting there and Jane's Addiction starts and we're sitting there with these candles and it's a city of a city of like city of candles me and Lisa and other people are holding up their lighters and I'm like I don't understand what's going on it's almost like a Rocky Horror type thing and I know Lisa used to go to Rocky Horror I don't know what's going on is she gonna pull out toilet paper next or are we gonna throw it whatever's gonna happen I'm all for this and it was so much fun and I just remember, you know, I remember Jane's Addiction being so raw and so, you know, since it was the end, they were just ready to explode. And, and they were that whole, like, two and a half hours that they were playing. And it was just through Stop, through, you know, Three Days, through Obvious, through, you know, all of these songs, Classic Girl. Uh, here's the ironic thing. I... They played three days, okay? Uh, I, I saw them the first night and then the third night. I missed them the second night. And the second night, uh, Ice-T comes out with, like, Jane's Addiction. And they do, like, a cover of Don't Call Me Whitey N. And I really wanted to see that because it was this rock fusion of, like, rock rap with, like, Jane's Addiction, which was cutting edge which is kind of like what I was thinking Rage Against the Machine was, and, and, and it was just, I missed it. So once again, if you weren't there, if you weren't finding the unicorns, if you were sitting at home, you were missing it. And so, back to the first night, I am so just, I, I'm looking at these unicorns, Eric Avery is up there playing bass with this like crazy blonde hair and no shirt and just like these pants that he looks like he's just skated like a ditch in Santa Monica and he's ready to go back and he could give a fuck if he's there or not. Then we have Dave Navarro. Jesus Christ. I, I, I don't even know what that guy's doing, okay? I see him over there and he's in his own space. He's created his own like matrix type world of existence where Steve Perkins and Eric Avery are just throwing these rhythm patterns at him and he is just coming at them with these just crazy triads of just melodies and leaves but plus rhythm and and he's doing it like while he's smoking a cigarette and probably on heroin you know <laughs> and like I know that's horrible to say but it's fucking it's rock and roll 
And uh, at that time, it was just dangerous, you know? Seeing these people that you knew could explode and possibly leave the planet at any moment made it so much more rare and so much more, you know, present. You wanted to be there. You wanted to be there now. You wanted to not be at home. So at the end of that performance, I clearly remember just being in awe and Jane's Addiction brought out these, these igloo, these big igloo coolers and Dave Navarro couldn't get any fucking cooler because he's always like, he's like one of the best guitar players ever and then he had some drumsticks and he starts banging on these, this, this round cooler and then Eric Avery starts pounding on the other coolers and, and then Steve Perkins is all there and then they go into this hypnotic, hypnotic song and my, I, I can't take it. Like I literally can't take it. My mind is going like, what? I've never seen anything like this before. This isn't Michael Jackson. This isn't fucking, this isn't, you know, the things that I'm used to, you know, that you would see. This isn't BB King. This isn't, you know, this is something different. And I was so young and impressionable that I, I, my, my 15 year old eyes had now found, you know, something that was giving me, you know, that super strength to take on those bullies at, at junior high and now high school. And uh, I just remember when the song was playing, Chip Away, uh, I just thought about when I went to Pure Records and got this record and, and, and I thought about all the things that I had done to become this Cameron Crowe read all the lyrics, looked at all the, you know, artwork, found out about these people, you know, watched their videos like Soul Kiss. I ended up going to the premiere of like this movie called Gift, you know, and it was amazing. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was like, you know, how the Beatles broke up, you know, everyone just wanted more, more, more. And all of a sudden Jane's Addiction was going to break up. And I didn't know what to do. And I was watching it all in front of my face. And I was so shocked. I was just in denial. But I was there and I was present. And it was Irvine. And it was where Lion Country Safari used to be. Where wild lions fucking roamed the land. And I was there as a kid. I saw wild lions roaming the land. And now I see Steve Perkins imitating this wild lion while fucking Perry is becoming this praying mantis of a human being where I can't tell if he's a, you know, a spirit of the undead or a Salvador Dali of now, which either way, I'm fucking on board and I want more and more and more. And what's happening? It's ending. It's ending. And I don't know what to do. So at the end of all of this, I finally, I'm in the seventh row. I'm like, fuck this, Lisa. I jump down into where the pit is, where all these people are just moshing and losing their fucking minds. And, and, and all of a sudden I look up and, and I see like Eric Avery jumping in the air, jumping in the pit. And he's right above me. And I'm like, well, what is this? And then I see the rest of the band just jump into the pit. 
And just like that, they're gone. They disappear like a Rolling Stones song, Magic in the Night. They disappeared. They were there and then they were gone. And by the time it was over, there was just like smoke that would be coming off the stage, like, you know, smoke machine. And everyone was just like, what, what the hell happened? And my 15-year-old little Cameron Crow mind couldn't, couldn't accept that it was over. So what did I do? <clears throat> I went home. I went home and I, I came up with the plan. The very next day I sat around and I was like, fuck, how, what do I do? What do I do? And uh, tickets were expensive. Uh, I was not rich growing up, so I thought it was time to go hang out with my rich friends. So I went and hung out with my rich friends. Uh, it wasn't that day, but uh, I found out that body count and uh, Jane's addiction to play. So I'm like, fuck this, I want to go back to Irvine Meadows. I, 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 I sought out my friend Mike Trueblood and, and I just told him, I said, hey, this is the experience that I had. You know, I was like, we had really good tickets. We had candles. Lisa was there. Uh, she pulled out all kinds of things. It was a Rocky Horror experience. Uh, and I just explained the fun that I had as a, as a kid and how life-changing it was. And at, at this time, he was probably two years older than me. He could see it in my eyes. He could see that it was truly life-changing. And he wanted to be a part of it. And I think uh, my friend Tanya was there and he's like, fuck it, let's go. And we went and he bought us like three tickets. There might've been another person, but I think it was three. And it, they were like second row. And I thought that I was spoiled from the seventh row. You know, I thought that, that I was completely spoiled from the seventh row. No, it was even better. But what was strange was going with Lisa was better because she just had these candles. She was so much more into it. These, these people were skeptical. Their minds were being blown. They couldn't handle it. But since, you know, Lisa had been ready for it and she'd already diversionized me with that, I was just bummed that we didn't have candles and, and uh, the supplies that we had had, you know, the fruit or whatever that we might have had. So, um, so yeah, that was Lollapalooza at three days and three nights for me I made it to in Laguna Hills California Irvine in 1991 and life-changing uh, I ended up going 92 93 94 95 uh, and then I think Perry Farrell sold Lollapalooza um, I'm gonna get into the 95 experience, Lollapalooza 95, on tomorrow's episode of uh, of this show, What Does It All Mean podcast, and because uh, I had some really life-changing events, three Greg, and kind of like, what were you saying, like, uh, you know, how does a groupie become a musician, and are there tons of groupies that became musicians? My experience happened on the 95 second stage of Lollapalooza which I will bring up 
uh, on tomorrow's show when I talk about porno for pyros. And once again, Irvine Meadows, Lion Country Safari, uh, and all that. So, I feel that those experiences that I had as a kid and what Perry Farrell and Jane's Addiction uh, created, and this is a side note as well, the co-founder of, um, of Lollapalooza and the manager of Jane's Addiction, his name was Ted Gardner, he passed away, uh, I think, yesterday. And uh, it was the yesterday or the day before. And uh, these, these three shows are going to be dedicated to him. I might have already said that, but uh, I'm still just kind of shocked. My friend Anthony would always talk about how he knew him and he would throw that in my face all the time and it would drive me fucking crazy. And I always thought that I was gonna, you know, be able to meet this guy and, you know, um, he's a legend. And I, it's, I'm truly, heart is broken and he passed. You know, it's kind of like a Brian Epstein, I'm sure, for, uh, for the whole band and for the world and for his family. So, rest in peace, rest in power, Ted Gardner. So, I'm gonna read some of the comments. I'm gonna read some, like, it's already 46 minutes in. read some of these comments uh, Michelle Franklin says you you are so lucky to have access to all those amazing musicians let me tell you uh, I'm gonna get into detail about the porno for pyros I'll do a side side note really quick Michelle if you're still there so uh, I was this is how lucky I got uh, Steve Perkins played a he played a, a drum shop in near South Coast Plaza. I'm not sure what year, but I was probably 21 at the time. And by this point, I think I was almost going to give up the dream of really, you know, uh, wanting to be a musician. I, I was about to sell out and try to just completely either professionally skateboard or be a UPS star, you know. And uh, one one day, someone told me, hey, Steve Perkins is going to be in uh, South Coast Plaza. And I'm like, and they told me like that day. And I'm like, fuck, okay, I'm going. So I go to this uh, small little drum store. It's probably still there in South Coast Plaza, instruments everywhere. And then there's this like small um, room that's set up with like these chairs and, and uh, there's a drum set there. And there's probably 25 people there. And, uh, I don't play drums. <laughs> I don't play drums. So, um, Steve Perkins just comes in. We're all waiting. He's this ball of energy. He fucking comes in and just starts drumming, doing all this crazy shit, blowing my mind, playing just different things. And, uh, then at one point, like, I think 45 minutes in, he, he asked people, he says, okay, well, do you guys want to, you know, hear any specific songs? And I'm... Cameron Crowe at this point. I'm such a fucking nerd. I'm like, yes, I want to hear Three Days by James. <laughs> like, I'm like, in it. I'm in it. And he's just like, 
Well, that's like a 15 minute long song. I'm not going to play that, but I'm going to break it down for you. And he starts breaking it down, telling me how like he, they made it at nighttime. So it had a different, you know, feel to it. And all of a sudden he's just playing three days in front of me. And I've asked him and my mind is just fucking blown. Okay. And then I think he played Miha. He just plays all these things. My little 21 year old mind is just my mind's blown and he's like i'm seeing this 15 feet away from me and uh at the very end of it he's like okay i'm gonna give autographs all this shit and all these people line up and i'm like fuck this i'm gonna be the very last person i go to the very last you know very last person line everyone's kind of like leaving it's just me and steve stephen perkins and i look at him and i go hey man i don't want your fucking autograph i go i just want to tell you that like being 15 16 17 i like was going through hard parts of my life and and listening to your beats listening to your music fucking changed uh my life and kind of saved me and he steve perkins jumped up behind the puts fucking sharpie down jumps up and he literally comes up and he gives me a hug he fucking hugs me and i look at him and i'm like oh my god this is insane like he's not a pompous fucking you know rock star that's just like all drugged out and just un you know untouchable and then he looks at me and he goes he's like dude thank you so much and then he says hey do you want to help me load up my fucking drums and i'm like yes and so then he starts just packing up his drums and i remember he had this explorer and i i don't know if it was green but I remember just me and Steven Perkins loading up his drums at like, now it's probably 12.30 or one o'clock in the morning in Santa Ana at South Coast Plaza on Bristol. And we're just loading it up and I'm just kind of shocked, but not really because now I'm the camera crow's like sinking in. And he looks at me after all of this and he's like, thank you for your help. It was awesome, blah, blah, blah. And then he asked me, this, this is, I swear on my life, he asked me, do you want to come to my house right now in Malibu, I'm pretty sure, and play drums with me? And it's fucking now like two in the morning because we were talking for a while. And I was working at UPS and I was 21. And in 1990, whatever it was, they were super strict. If I were to call in, I'm fired. And so I looked at him and I'm like, what do I do? Do I just go and hang out with like, this drummer that I love so much and do I go and party with him all night and play drums till the sun comes up because that's what I should fucking be doing or do I go home and uh you know be responsible well I didn't play drums at that time so that was my dividing my 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 factor because he started getting technical he starts talking about paradiddles I remember at one point and I'm like I didn't know shit I was a groupie, still a groupie at 21. I was trying to figure out the guitar. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I knew that instinctively I wanted to play drums. There's a drum set in my living room now, okay? If I take this into my living room now, you'll see a drum set in there. And uh, I'll take a picture, put it up on there later. So Steve Perkins is like, let's go play drums till the sun comes up in Malibu. I know that I don't, I can't even rock a tambourine. So I'm like, nah, man, I can't. And I turned him down. And he was such a nice guy. He was like, dude, don't even worry. It was just super. So the, that's what I'm saying. 
the, the people that I've met, I've met everyone except Eric Avery and, and Dave Navarro because I've grown up in the Southern California culture. And, and I want to kind of share these stories and what great people they were. Steve Perkins is just a fucking great guy. He's this like positive energy and you see it just radiating out, radiating out of him. Whether he's playing the drums or whether he's just loading shit into a car. And, uh, and I was lucky enough to meet Perry and uh, Peter DiStefano. And uh, these people are great fucking human beings. And the fact that they're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and that they have not taken more credit for uh, the alternative movement that kind of created Gen X, I feel, or gave us a, you know, title. I feel that Jane's Addiction, Lollapalooza, they, they gave us a title. They gave us a, a name. And then as soon as that shit started to happen, these major corporations and everybody started seeing like, whoa, wait a minute, like there's money here. What are we going to do? You know? And, uh, that's when things started to change. So, um, yeah, the experiences that I've had living in Southern California and going to the first five Lollapaloozas, um, has definitely shaped my life in the multiverse. And, uh, I feel like everything that, uh, you know, everything that we do is like, you know, like Bruce Lee says, like, you know, there's the pond, you drop the, you drop the, you drop the rock in the pond. It's, it's going to create a ripple, you know, it's going to create a ripple. And I feel that if you believe in your art and your, yourself and, and the creation around you, you, you drop that rock kind of like Jane's Addiction did and Porno for Pyros, which I'll discuss, you know, tomorrow, it, it, it'll affect the whole pond. And I think that like how give peace a chance and all you need is love with the Beatles, you know, it, it took decades. Well, yeah, I think Jane's Addiction is 36 years old, like someone brought up earlier, you know, 1985, 1986, that's like 35, 36 years old now. They're going on their fourth decade, kind of like The Cure. You know, the cure, like they started the year I was born. So knowing these things, you know, it helps shape the multiverse. And I'm going to get into this, into two more shows tomorrow night and the night after. So tomorrow night I'll be discussing Porno for Pyros and how, yes, I snuck on stage with them at Lollapalooza 95 and how that really made me stop going to shows and uh, made me do other things, but I will get into that tomorrow. Um, and the, the third show will be all about Lollapalooza and how it's affected the world and, and where these people are now, Dave Navarro and Perry and Peter and Eric Avery, all these people, we're gonna touch on that too. The time is running out, guys. I can't fucking believe it. This has been so much fun. Uh, let me read some of the comments because I only have about three more minutes and I got to shut her down. So, uh, this is three, Greg. Just to add to the weird, Perry's kid was in elementary school with mine. Parents, uh, parents day was on, or was surreal. I bet, you know, I, the cool thing is to see some of the social media and, you know, I follow Eddie, I follow, uh, Perry and, and it's just so weird because I've, I've watched part of them grow up through social media so you know I saw one of his sons like 
like break his arm and I was like, you know, skateboarding, I think. He was like skateboarding and I was like, fuck, like I felt bad for Perry because I'm like, that there now now he's he's experiencing what parenthood is and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but like uh, you know, it's kinda like what Obama says. He's like you've you've got your heart and you know, your kids are your heart, kinda like my cats. And you put them out there, you know. You you put them out there, and, uh, and and when you do, like you hope they come back okay. And when they when they have a broken arm or when they have anything, it you know, it you, it scares you. And uh, yeah, it's awesome seeing Perry being a dad. It's awesome seeing Steve Perkins being a dad. He's got his son that plays guitar, and they play shows. And that kid's a better guitar player than me already. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's just awesome. So, uh, Peter Badwolf says, uh, Avalon, the nudist camp, now history. I was there. I was there making history with the nudies. <laughs> I'm going to have to do a show about that. One thing I remember about that is making cinnamon rolls. These fucking nudists love cinnamon rolls. They made all the kids make cinnamon rolls while they were doing a real weird shit. You know? So, uh, that's all it. Music is a bridge to... This is three, Greg. Music is a bridge to parts of the soul that can't explain, but you connect to it. And I think that's what Lollapalooza was to me, you know, and I was fucking 15 and I see all these people bobbing back and forth. I know that, you know, I want to be a part of it. I'm getting a two minute warning already. I have to shut her down pretty soon. But yes, I feel that. And I felt that everyone with this just, everyone just, our minds, our creative consciousness coming together and watching these other people creating this space and time uh, creates something that ripples out into the world and ripples out into the multiverse and changes everything for the good. I love you all. I will see you tomorrow night and the next night. Let's fucking do this. Three days, three nights. What does it all mean podcast? Love you guys. I'm out. And I'll read the comments later too. And I'll I'll get back in it. Have a great night, everybody.